I will be transparent with you that the passage that we're looking at this morning, if you will let God challenge you, has the potential to be painful. Now, it doesn't seem like that at first because it's kind of a a cool story. In fact, it's actually a really impressive story. However, this morning, I'm asking that God would work in our hearts in such a way to challenge some of the deepest prejudices, the deepest challenges, the deepest, perhaps even pains that we all wrestle with. This morning's message is titled this. He can save those people. He can save those people. Now, it's no secret that, as Mike was talking about even in our introduction, that that our nation seems deeply divided, although it may not be as deep as it seems sometimes from what the media says. Over the last few years, lines have been drawn sharply between liberals and conservatives, so it seems like there's less middle ground to stand on and And by the way, my plan today is to be an equal opportunity offender, okay? So whatever side you find yourself on of any particular issue, I'm hoping to challenge you today. When I do, I'm not saying that all viewpoints have equal validity. I think there's truth in some and error in others. I think in most things there's truth in both of them and error in both of them and we're both wrong and we need to bring it all under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But as we go through this this morning, we're going to be challenged to look at this. We've been confronted with questions about things like racism that cause us to wrestle with firmly rooted prejudices in our own hearts and it's even created division over whether there are prejudices in our own hearts or not, right? As we've talked about CRT and all of these things, we've found ourselves taking sides over vaccines and masks and lockdowns. It's likely that in light of all of those things, that at some level in your heart, and this is the moment for you to drop the mask, not not saying physically if you you are wearing a mask, I'm not talking about that, I'm, I'm talking about the mask that we all wear when we come to church, right? The mask that walks in, stands up straight and says, brother, I'm blessed, how about you? When really your life is falling apart and you know it. Yeah, by the way, like, people are asking what our mask position is. Um, if, if you feel like it's best for you to wear one, wear one. If you don't, don't, okay? That's just where we're at. That's where I'm going to leave it, okay? But that facade that we bring into church with us, okay? As we walk in and we're doing our thing and we think that, that everybody's going to think differently about us if they knew our heart really looked like this, let's get into that level right now. Where are those prejudices? Now, it may not be race. Maybe something about the vaccine or the lockdowns or things like that. Maybe it's not the social issues. Maybe for you it's financial things. You've always struggled financially, so you can't stand folks who are wealthy. You think that they're greedy, they're selfish. Maybe you fought hard to get where you are, though, and you have acquired some wealth, so you can't stand the poor folks because you think they must be lazy. Maybe for you it's not even a big socioeconomic group or a political party or a stance on vaccines or masks or anything like that. For you it's more personal. Maybe it's a family member that's hurt you deeply. Perhaps it's a classmate who seems out to get you. A coworker who always treats you wrong. You're wounded in deep ways from these things. If we're honest and let the Spirit of God shine His light into the darkest corner of our hearts, most of us would have to acknowledge 
that at some level there's a group of those people in our hearts. You willing to say that? Here's what I want you to see. God can save those people. Now, by the way, if you're sitting here thinking, oh, this is going to be one of those judgmental things, stick with us the whole time. We're going to bring stuff around. God's got a plan in this. See, Peter had to learn that very lesson, that God could save those people. And he learned that in Acts chapter 10. So go ahead and open your Bibles if you haven't already. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the back of the pew there in front of you. It's the black book next to the red ones. Um, If you need help, there's the table of contents in the front that can help you find the book of Acts. You're also welcome to use a smartphone app if you've got one. Um, We're going to try to cover a lot of ground this morning. And as we do, we're going to cover some background information and things like that that we need to understand to really get the full impact of what we see God doing in here in Acts chapter 10. But so far, what we've been seeing throughout the book of Acts is we've been seeing God's people beginning to take the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and take it around the area where they've been. They've been in Jerusalem. They've been primarily witnessing to Jews. They moved out into Samaria and some other regions. And so if you remember the Samaritans, we'll talk about them in a little bit, but they were kind of half-blooded Jews, you know, and so they were still kind of Jews and they were taking the gospel to them. They were witnessing to other Jews in other areas. But at this point, it's pretty much just been the Jews. However, God's about to blow the lid off of everything for Peter and the other Christians. And it's great news for all of us. Okay? Start with me here. We're going to try to skim through some things. We're going to summarize some things. We're going to try to cover this entire chapter. Now, you guys know I can preach an entire message out of one verse, so you know how this is going to go, okay? If you have a roast, I hope you made gravy and you can get it re-wet because it's going to be a little dry, all right? There was a man in Caesarea, starting in chapter 10, verse 1, named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household, but he's not a Jew. Okay? He's a Gentile. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. So as he's doing this, about three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? By the way, if all of this sounds really crazy and unfamiliar, we're going to go back and explain it. We're just going to read through it first, and we'll go back and make sense of it. The angel told him, your prayers and acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who's also named Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, remember, a leather tanner, whose house is by the sea. Remember we said that Simon the the tanner was going to be an important guy? Yeah, because he had the house. Verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray about noon. He's going up on the roof on the upper part of the house to pray. Now, it's about noon. Peter's hangry. So God's going to give him a unique vision. Verse 10, he became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, remember... God had given the Jews very specific rules about what they could and what they couldn't eat. Reptiles were pretty much off the list. A lot of birds were pretty much off the list. And there were a lot of animals that were off the list as well. But here he sees this large sheet coming down from heaven that has all of these things that he's not allowed to eat. 
the voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, for I've never eaten anything impure or richly unclean. Probably not. I mean, let's be honest. At some point, he probably did something he shouldn't have, but he never did it on purpose, right? Verse 15. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This is going to be revolutionary for Peter. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. While Peter was deeply perplexed what this vision might mean, he right away, the men who'd been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was, the, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them, with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Now, here's the thing. Not only were foods unclean, the kind of people who ate those foods were also unclean. All of a sudden, three of those unclean guys show up at the house where Peter's staying, and God says, hey, go with them. Peter goes without objection. He actually invites them in. Never would have happened. But something's churning in Peter's heart. God's doing something because those people just showed up at his door. And he invited them in to spend the night. The next day, they get going on their journey. It's been about three or four days by the time, actually about four days by the time they finally get to Cornelius' house. So they get to Cornelius' house. There's some back and forth as they retell the story about, you know, this was the vision I had. Well, this is what God was doing. Okay. And so then we pick back up in verse 34. So Peter has now heard that God had given Cornelius this vision, but he's still not totally sure why he's there yet. Verse 34, Peter began to speak. Now I... Now, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism because now a Gentile's actually had a vision. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what's right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. And now he continues to go on and he starts preparing, to, he's sharing the gospel with Cornelius and these Gentiles. By the way, Cornelius had gotten together his whole family. He'd gotten together all of his friends. Everybody was sitting there waiting. So this is a house full of Gentiles. So then jump down to verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43, all the prophets testify about him, talking about Jesus, that through Jesus' name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now, pause right there. The next verse is where it gets really good, but I want us to stop on that verse right there. Verse 43, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. Everyone, even those people, okay? So the first thing I want you to see is just the same as the title, that is, that he can save those people. Now let's explain why we're getting that from the text. Some of you guys, this may be old hat for you because you've been studying the Bible your whole life. Some of you, this may be the first time you've ever heard any of this. So we want to kind of break down a little bit about what's going on. Peter is getting ready to have to confront every prejudice that he's ever had, every preconceived idea about who was in and who was out, and everything he's ever learned. God's about to upend the whole thing. So would to God that he would do the same thing for you today, okay? Peter and the apostles definitely had a group of people in mind who if you said those people, they would have had a group of people that they would have immediately thought of, and that was anybody who was not a Jew. Okay, the, when, when the Bible talks about things in the Old Testament, you see you've got the Jews, and then there's everybody else. Everybody else are the Gentiles. Okay, that's the word that the Bible uses to describe the, the rest of the world outside of the Jewish race. Okay, those who could draw their lineage back to Abraham. Why does that matter? Well, to put it bluntly, those people were anybody who wasn't Jewish. If they weren't physical descendants of Abraham, they were a Gentile. 
Now, let's go back and try to make some sense of this. All the way back in the book of Genesis, you have God coming to a guy named Abram, who then eventually gets called Abraham, and calling Abram to be this guy who would be the founder of God's special people. Now, although the Old Testament makes it clear that others could be saved and come into a relationship with God, and we don't have a lot of time to get into that, we do know that God had a unique relationship with his people who were the physical descendants of this guy named Abraham. We find that clearly spelled out in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Okay? So God came to Abraham and said, you are going to be the founder of a new nation that's going to be my special people. Now, what did you see twice in this passage? He said, well, you're to be a blessing to the other nations. And then that last phrase that you see clearly is that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Along the way, it seems that kind of the, many of the Jews forgot about that last part. For them, they thought that God would bless the nations through them because they were going to be so awesome that life was just going to be better for everybody else. Okay? So as you're getting into the Old Testament, you start walking through and seeing God working in unique ways through Abraham's descendants. He's doing incredibly cool stuff. He draws them out of Egypt. He gives them this land. He delivers things. Throughout the Old Testament, you see how God cared for them, showed himself to them, disciplined them when they got off track. And he didn't do that for any of the other nations of the world. The Gentiles, although the Gentiles could individually be saved, there was no other nation that God treated like the nation of the Jews. Okay? Now, fast forward. We do see, by the way, if you want some biblical examples of Gentiles who got saved, you've got folks like Rahab and Ruth, uh, who very clearly were not Jews, but God drew them into the covenant family. But to be honest, even if you went through all the steps of trying to become a Jew, like you'd go through the rites of circumcision, you offer sacrifices, do all the things that would make you Jewish, abstain from these things, a lot of Jews still counted you as second class. You were just never quite there. The Old Testament uses the phrase resident aliens to talk about you know, those who come along. And, and by the time Jesus comes into the picture, you have two groups of people called proselytes, who were the ones who'd gone through kind of all of the steps. And then you have God-fearers, who are people kind of like Cornelius, people who were really sympathetic and, and sort of worshiped the God of the Jews, but they still weren't Jewish. Okay? We clear so far? I know this is kind of dry. You good? You with me? So this is what Peter's grown up thinking. It's become increasingly clear that God was going to bless the nations by sending a special servant and king into the world. He's referred to as the Messiah or God's anointed one. That's also the, in Greek, that's Christ, okay? So the, the Messiah is God's anointed one. He's the special servant, the special king that God's going to send out of his special people, and this guy's going to rule and reign over all of the world. He's going to set up his own kingdom, and it's going to change everything about the way that the work, world works. The fact that God was going to save the world through the Messiah only deepened the divide, okay? By the time we get to the New Testament, there's this massive divide between Jews and Gentiles. I mean, have you ever been around somebody who thinks that they're better than you? You ever had that experience? It's not particularly fun, is it? So the Jews thought they were better than the Gentiles, and the Gentiles resented the Jews for thinking they were better than the Gentiles, okay? It was not a happy relationship. And the Jews had some legitimate reasons. I mean, a lot of the things that most of the Gentiles did were very dishonoring to God. They didn't follow God's law, not just in the ceremonial stuff, but in the way they treated their families and in everything else. 
So finally, Jesus arrives on the scene. As he's ministering, Peter and others start to realize that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that God promised to send that was going to make, be a blessing for all the nations. All of these promises that God made from Abraham on, Jesus is that guy. In fact, Peter's the first one to actually acknowledge that out loud. Matthew chapter 16, he does. He says, Jesus is the one talking first. He says, but you, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. So Peter is the first guy to catch that Jesus really is the Messiah, or at least the first one to say it out loud. He's the first one to own the fact that Jesus is doing that. So what did they expect Jesus to do? What did they expect the Messiah to do? Well, they expected the Messiah to set up his kingdom. Who was going to be in charge of the kingdom? Well, the Jews, obviously, because they're God's people. What about the Gentiles? It's hard to tell exactly what the the Jews of that day thought about the Gentiles because we don't have a whole lot of sources. Um, But J. Julius Scott and his Jewish backgrounds of the New Testament book, which is a real page-turner if you want to get into it. Um, It actually is kind of fascinating for me, but most of you, it would be a great sleep aid. Um, In his book, though, he says, here's what the Jews figured, by and large, would happen with the Gentiles when the Messiah came and set up his kingdom. Most of them would be on the side of evil and would just be flat out destroyed. The Messiah was just going to absolutely obliterate the Gentiles. They were just going to be dead. It was no problem that he was going to take care of it. Some thought that maybe some of the Gentiles might sort of turn to the Messiah and serve in his kingdom, but they are by no means citizens on the same level as Jews. They, they might get there, and maybe a few might even find salvation, but really, no. So here's what Peter and, and the other apostles have been doing for the last 10 years. By the way, Warren Wearsby says it's been 10 years since the day of Pentecost when we read this. For the last 10 years, they've been witnessing to Jews. Yeah, we had the Ethiopian eunuch, but that's kind of a one-off thing, and, and it's kind of... Everything else has been Jews. Well, what about the Samaritans? Well, remember, the Samaritans were half-breed Jews. They were ones who had some Jewish lineage. And so, so for 10 years, they've just been witnessing to Jews wherever they went. Because, see, those people, God's not going to save them. They wouldn't be interested if you offered. They're too far gone. So here's the thing. As Peter and the other apostles are trying to figure out what this means, the Holy Spirit is empowering and guiding them, but they're, they're still missing it. Maybe Peter and the others still adopted the dominant ideas of that day. There was no reason to share Jesus with the Gentiles. They were going to be lost. They, they were going to be destroyed by the Messiah when he came back and set up his kingdom fully. There's no point wasting our time with him. So then what happens? A Gentile of all people, a Roman centurion. Like, he works for the opposition. Now, he was friendly to the Jews, but still, he's a Roman. He sees an angel? Are you serious? Nobody's seen angels for years. Why would he show up to a Gentile? Then you got Peter, hangry on a roof, sitting there trying to figure out what's for lunch, and then God shows up and says, hey, you know what's for lunch? Anything you want to eat. You want bacon? Go for it. Remember, that was one of the things that was excluded by the Old Testament law. They couldn't eat pork. And all of a sudden, here, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine you're hungry? They would usually eat a light mid-morning meal, and then they'd eat a little heavier thing in the mid-afternoon. But if he's hungry about noon, you probably skip breakfast that morning. 
And he's sitting there on the roof, and all of a sudden this sheet comes down, and it smells like bacon. But Peter's like, God, I can't touch that. That's unclean. God says, what I've said clean, you can't declare impure. Now, by doing this, he wasn't saying that Cornelius was already saved. He wasn't saying that everybody in the world is right with God. What he was saying was the kingdom is open not just to the Jews, but to everyone. See, I think when we go back to verse 43, I don't think Peter knew what he was saying. When he said all the prophets testify about him that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins, I don't think he really meant that 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 meant the Gentiles could really be saved. Are you getting the picture? Peter probably thought he was better than them. They had no real part in the kingdom of God. But yet, he goes with them. Now he actually says by one of the verses we skipped over, he he gets in there and he says, guys, Y'all understand I'm not supposed to be here, right? It is wrong for a Jewish man to enter and even go into the house of a Gentile. But yet God was doing something nobody could have believed. So picking it back up in verse 43, everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed at the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Did you read that? Even on the Gentiles. Can you believe it? God poured the Spirit out on the Gentiles? They heard them speaking in other tongues, declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They asked him to stay for a few days. Guys, this is revolutionary. Okay, go back to the beginning of the message. Those people invite you to their house. You present the gospel to them and they get saved. By the way, when the Holy Spirit shows up, this is a a unique situation. We've talked about the fact that Acts is a transition period from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And what we're seeing here is the it's not that we expect every time somebody gets saved or gets right with God or drawn into a relationship with Him, we don't expect that they're going to speak in an unknown language like they did here. But what God's doing is showing that the Gentiles got saved in the exact same way, to the full extent, with full participation in the kingdom of God, even to the point that they speak in tongues just like Peter did back in Acts chapter 2. This was irrefutable, undeniable evidence that Gentiles had really gotten saved. Now again, we don't expect that that's going to happen every time somebody gets saved because this is God establishing that Gentiles truly could be a part of the kingdom, just like the Jews. This is really cool, guys. Now, when he told the other Jewish believers back in Acts chapter 11, they were actually stunned into silence. We're going to skip down. I'll put it on the screen. Acts chapter 11, verses 17 and 18. Paul, or Peter's summarizing what's taking place as he gets back to Jerusalem. He's with the other believers, and, and he summarizes it saying this. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave us when we believed in our Lord Jesus Christ, how can I possibly hinder God? He's like, who was I to deny them baptism? Who was I to to not worship with them? God gave them the same thing he did with us. When they heard this, they became silent. 
mean, they were stunned. Saying, so then, God's given repentance resulting even in life to the Gentiles. I mean, did you hear it? God gave repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. Who's that group for you? Who is it that when you think about it, those people couldn't get saved? Listen again to verse 43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That means that everyone who will stop trusting in themselves and their ideology and surrender to Christ's leadership over their life can be saved. You know what that means? That means that God can save the progressives who push CRT and other human-centered solutions to the problems of the world. He can also save the conservative who's devoted himself to following whatever QAnon conspiracy is hot this week. He can save those who struggle with same-sex attraction and gender identity issues. He can save those who struggle with greed, mistrust, and a desire for power. He can save those who, to you, seem like their lives are controlled by a fear of COVID as well as those who you think are callous and cruel for not masking up or getting the vaccine. He can save those people. He can save the people who look different for you than you, who have a different political affiliation or sin than you do. Make it even more personal this morning. He can make, save the family member who hurts you. He can save the person at work. He can save those people. Everyone who will turn to Christ can be saved. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying that any one of those is right. We'll talk off on sidebar if you want to get into those issues. We can talk about those sidebar issues. What I'm saying is, everyone who will call on the name of the Lord can be saved. As you and I are fighting for what we believe God's calling us to do and how we're called to live in the society we live in, with the challenges, the mores, the forces that we're fighting against, never lose sight of the fact that the person behind that voice that's speaking that issue That person needs Jesus. Every single person on the planet needs Jesus. Are we clear on that, guys? Who have you written off? Who have you stopped praying for because they're too far gone? Everyone who comes to Christ, surrendering themselves to his lordship, can be saved. Let me give you an example, by the way. You say, well, Sean, you're talking about like not compromising the truth, or you know, how do, we, how do we love them without backing down? How many of you are familiar with a gentleman by the name of Larry Flint? Okay. Larry Flint was a gentleman who was in charge of an adult entertainment magazine and empire. Some of you may remember a movie that came out in 1996 called The People versus Larry Flint. Larry Flint published a a parody of Jerry Falwell. The court case went all the way to the Supreme Court. It was heated. It was ugly. That's what the movie was all about. And it didn't go Dr. Falwell's way. It was ruled that he was within First Amendment rights to be able to publish what he did, as offensive, as gross as it was. Ten years passed after The People versus Larry Flint was resolved. And Jerry Falwell who I don't always agree with, didn't always agree with. And Larry Flint found themselves seated together 
on Larry King Live. Larry Flint had just released his biography. And he wrote an article after Dr. Falwell passed away that that night, Larry Falwell came over to him, or excuse me, Jerry Falwell came over to him, gave him a hug, sat down next to him, put his hand on his knee. For the next 10 years or so, they cultivated a friendship. Now, Dr. Falwell never stopped speaking out against the adult entertainment industry or everything that Larry Flint stood for. Larry Flint said, I knew what he was selling and he knew what I was selling. But Dr. Falwell, when he was in California, walked in, got an, without an appointment, just walked into Larry Flint's office with a stack of the magazines sitting right there on the corner of the desk, stood there and talked with him for two hours. One time, they, Dr. Falwell was talking about some health issues that he had, and Larry Flint faxed him some, some diet advice that they shared. Now, I would love to say that the end of the story is that Larry Flint repented and came to Christ. Only God knows that. He passed away back in January or February this year. But he did say in his article that he wrote for the, New York, or excuse me, the LA Times after Jerry Falwell passed, that throughout that relationship, he was able to, to do the unexpected, and that was to call Jerry Falwell his friend. That's what we're talking about. Yes, we stand for what's true. We stand for what's right. We stand for what God's called and said it for us to do. But we do so in such a way that we recognize that the people that we're fighting against, we're not fighting against them. The, Ephesians tells us that we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. We're not fighting against them. That person needs to be saved. And here's why I, I wanted to get to this part, okay? He can even save those people, which means, number two, he can even save you. He can even save you. See, I didn't want us to walk out of this message thinking, you're right, those people do need to be saved. Those guys pushing CRT, yeah, they've gotten so far off track. Man, they're so dumb. They're obviously so lost. Or or those guys following QAnon, they're the dumbest I can't imagine. They need to be saved. And so do you. So do you. See, here's the thing. As I look out through our church family, I'm not aware of a single one of us who actually has Jewish heritage. You may, I don't know. But as far as I know, nobody in our church is a Jew by descent. So that means we're those people. We're all Gentiles in this room. And had Jesus not come to save the entire world and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, had that not happened, you and I would at best have a chance to maybe be servants in the kingdom. But instead, we've been adopted as sons, not because of our earthly heritage, but because Jesus loved us enough to die on the cross and be raised from the dead so that we could have new life. We're those people. He can even save you. See, even if you were a devout Jew with a perfect pedigree, it wouldn't be enough to save you. (laughs) Never lose sight of what God's told us in his word about who we are apart from Christ. Romans chapter 5. While we were still helpless. Like, you get that? Guys, you're not a, a good person who just needs to try a little harder and you might be right with God. You are helpless apart from Christ. 
You have no hope. You can't save yourself. And if God didn't save the Gentiles, you and I would have no choice. No chance, no choice, nothing. We were still helpless. But at the right time, God died for the ungodly. You see, rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. I was telling the class this morning, you know, as I was letting the Lord search my heart this morning, I saw all kinds of things that I I don't want to see there. I've been saved for like 28 years. I did the math this morning. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor here for 10 years. I've been in ministry for longer than that. I, I still sin. I still fall short. And yet God in his mercy and his goodness knew all of that. And he loved me so much that he would go and die on the cross for me. A selfish, proud, sometimes lazy guy. Gentile, who had no right to the kingdom of God on my own. He can save you. There's one other group that I want to speak to today. You know, as I've been saying that, you know, I've been trying to kind of talk to those of us who know Jesus, right? I mean, if, if you're here today, if you're saved, it's because God saved Gentiles, which was you, which is awesome. But it may very well be true that you're here this morning or, or you're watching this online or watching this later as it's recorded. It may be that that you've never genuinely come to a place of, of putting your life in Christ's hands. For one, you know, if you're real antagonistic to who Jesus is right now, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you're hearing this. I'm glad that you're hearing what the Bible says. You may have, have taken what I've said today, and you may think, see, this is just Christians being judgmental again. If so, I'm sorry, because that's not at all what I've intended to communicate. What I hope you've seen in this is that in Christ, all of those barriers are removed. All of the barriers of race, all of the barriers of socioeconomic status, political affiliation, all of that, we all stand equally in need of Christ, and we all can be saved through Christ's death. Okay? So, the ground, some have said the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Jesus puts us back to zero together. So, if, if you heard judgmentalism in this, that, that was not my intention. But it may be here, though, that you're, you're here and you're more of a Cornelius type. You've been trying to seek after God. You've been trying to do the right thing, but you're just not there yet. See, here's what he said. Verse 43 again. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Now, believing is not just knowing facts about. I know a handful of facts about George Washington, but other than being on you know, one of the coins or whatever, he doesn't do much to change my day-to-day life, right? I may know some facts, but I'm not trusting him for anything. In the same way, some of you may know facts about Jesus. You may have known all of these things your whole life, but you've never genuinely put your trust in him. Then you're not believing in him. Believing is not just head knowledge, it's trust. So, if you've never come to that point of putting your believing faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, God can save you today. He can grant you forgiveness of sin. Simply transfer your trust. Say, God, 
I can't do this. I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen short. And I need you to save me. And when you do, what does it say? Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Not because of anything you've done, not because you've earned it, not because you've deserved it, not because you were smart, not because you were pretty, not because you were whatever, but because Jesus saves you and gives you forgiveness of sin. I would love nothing more than for God to do that this morning. So if you're here and you're wrestling with it, I can promise you nothing will excite the people in this room more than you surrendering to Christ. Why? Because we want another notch in our belt? No, not at all, because we want you to know the hope, the peace, and the joy that's only found in a relationship with Christ. Okay? So, do you need to be saved today? Here's what I want us to do. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. Daniel, why don't you come on up? We're Americans and we hate silence, so what we're going to do is I'm going to have Daniel play a little bit in the background just to give us some time to reflect quietly together. And if you're here today and you need to be saved, you don't need me. I, I don't have any kind of like magic wand down here or anything that gets you saved. You can just where you are, you can cry out to God, express to him what's in your heart, and see him draw, him, draw you to himself. But if you want to talk about that, if you, if you need help with that, expressing that, or have questions about it, I'm, I'm going to be down front once we pray here in just a second. I'm going to stand right down here. I'd love to talk with you about that. But if you're here today and so you don't know Jesus, that's my invitation for you is you can be saved today. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. There may be somebody here, though, who knows the Lord and you realize that as you look at the prejudices of your own heart, you've written off some people. Maybe individuals in your family. It may be somebody that you see on TV. Maybe somebody that you just say, they're they're too far gone. Listen, if God saved you, he can save them. So maybe today, for the first time in a long time, you need to take this time to pray for God to save that person, for them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus as their Savior and Lord, to see their sin, to turn to trust him. I'm going to pray for us, and then I want to give you some time to respond. So you continue with your head bowed and your eyes closed after I pray. I'm down here if you want to talk to me. If not, you do business with God where you are, and then I'll close this. Father, we are so grateful that you saved the Gentiles because I would never have been saved if you didn't. We're grateful that Jesus' grace and mercy was poured out not just on the Jews but on us as well so that now we are spiritually descendants of Abraham. We thank you for grafting us into the vine like the pictures are used in Romans and elsewhere. So God, would you search our hearts and help us to respond as you see fit? Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for challenging us. And I want to take the prayers we've been praying that you would save whoever those people are for us. I want to take it a step further. Would you allow us then to be the Peter who gets to see that person be saved? Would you help us to be able to develop relationships with people who don't know you so that they can come to know you? Would you give us the strength to be able to 
set aside things that aren't of you to be able to reach those who need you badly. God, would you allow each of us in our circles of influence with our work, our our dorms, our schools, our families, wherever we may be, would you use us as your instruments to help people be saved? Not for our glory, not for our name or our renown, but for you and you alone. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us enough to challenge us to look more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.